This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to another Gangplank Report. You've heard Adrian and Jen talk about the most recent episode of this hit Bravo series. Now it's time to hear from you, the superfans. It's time for the bonus episode of the Gangplank Report. And here they are, Adrian Gang and Jennifer Bennington. Hey gang, welcome back to another bonus superfan interview here on Gangplank Report. I'm going to have Adrian introduce our guest today, who is going to give us a great perspective that we haven't heard much of from the perspective of a charter guest. So Adrian, can you introduce us please? Hey everybody, this is Adrian, and with us today is Karen Boren, who is a previous charter guest of mine and also happens to be a super fan of the show. Hi, Karen. Hello there. How are you, ladies? Wonderful. Thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us. I'm excited about this. This is going to be super interesting for me. Absolutely. Karen, I'll let you tell the story of how we met, if you don't mind. Ah, not one bit. I wanted to take friends on a special trip while we were in Mexico. And through a friend of a friend, I found this fabulous boat. And over time, they moved the boat to Florida. And I was still in contact with the new owner of the boat. It sold. And he wasn't able to deliver it on time. And he felt really badly and wanted to give me a great deal to do it again. And he said, one caveat, I hope that you're okay with a celebrity chef. And I immediately went, it's below deck. And that's was, a fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and happily agreed. And then he told me that it was Adrian. And I was even more excited because despite the fact that you took a lot of flack for season one, as you well know, <laughs> but I was very sympathetic to you because I think that that crew gave you such a hard time and you did your darndest to try to keep the ship upright, literally. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you. And as a fan of the show, I struggle because I have children about probably the median age of a yachty. So it's difficult sometimes when I watch the behavior that I know comes from a place of immaturity. Mm -hmm. And wrangling that kind of attitude is not an easy job. And to have done it on a boat, you know, in small confines with a bunch of people who probably don't behave, you know, in the most mature fashion is a tough job for anybody. But I think you had a particularly difficult row to hope. Yeah. Wish I would have brought a taser in my luggage to be honest. <laughs> or a cattle prod or something. Maybe so we, so we got so we ended up chartering the boat and I met Adrian on the boat and we headed off and we've been fast friends ever since and probably talk or at least text once a week. <laughs> Oh, definitely. And I've actually done some other work for Karen and her friends as well. So right. it's been it's turned into a mutually beneficial relationship and we've carried it on even after I left the boat. So I was only on the boat temporarily anyway for that trip. It just happened to work out that it coincided with when Karen was on the boat and we had a lot of fun. And one of the most memorable parts of that trip was one of the guests 
of a guest that Karen had on the boat that was probably one of the funniest things I've ever experienced in my life, to be honest with you. I'll let you, because that was your friend of a friend, but... Yes, well, that's why there's that old saying, guests of guests should not have guests. (laughs) So I had never met the gentleman, and Adrian mentioned he's a friend of a friend, and usually I'm the more the merrier type, so off we go. And he claims to be a Palm Beach Floridian guy, he knows he loves his snow crab, he talked about it all day, and we finally get to sit down and have some beautiful food for dinner after a day full of beautiful food, and this gentleman slices his hands apart on the snow crab. He's flushing blood down to his elbows. Oh my god. We are we're docked now. (laughs) And all we can do is laugh. Oh my god. I don't know why we thought this was so funny, but at the time it was hilarious. He ended up in the emergency room getting stitches. He got an infection. And it was just a funny juxtaposition that he was going on and on about he's a Floridian and he loves his snow crab and then makes an absolute mess of himself physically over the whole <laughs> And maims oh. himself. <laughs> and, he was, and he was drunk as a skunk, too. Oh. I mean, he was... Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was generously overserved on that trip. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, we, we all were. Everyone was very attentive with the cocktails. <laughs> So Karen, from your perspective, you watch the show and you also experience this. What are some of the similarities that you can see between you as a guest off camera and the guests that film? Are there things that they like to see that you also like to see from the crew or is it completely different? I would have to say overall, it's pretty much what you see on the show in terms of customer service, if you will, Mm -hmm. is is what you see on the show. The experiences that I've had on other boats as well, I've never had a problem with a crew member talking behind my back, for instance, or (laughs) being made to feel as though I was, you know, in their way or a problem or any request was too ridiculous, although I'm not that kind of guest. Mm -hmm. At least I don't think so. Adrian can speak to that more than I can. (laughs) Definitely not. I think as long as everybody's having a good time, that's all that matters to you, which makes our lives easy. It's one of those things where the primary very much sets the tone a majority of the time as to how the trip is going to go and what the feeling and mood of the trip is going to be. And Karen's one of those people that is just happy. I mean, she's successful in her own right, in her own business. And when she comes on board the boat, all she wants to do is just have a good time and make sure that all the people that are with her are having a good time too. And she's got some really amazing friends. So that helps. Yeah, I would think that that would help. Do you have a situation where you like to do things like the theme parties or do you think that's more show related? That's more show related in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may just be the way that I tend to charter. Adrian laughs at me. She's done other work for me off boats as well. And that was actually more, it ended up being more of a friendly visit. We got the benefit of a cooking. Mm-hmm. So, but she laughs at me because dealer's choice is my catchphrase. Whatever somebody wants to do, I'm not shopping for it, chopping it, cooking it, or cleaning up after it. Right. I don't care if it's a McDonald's double cheeseburger. 
<laughs> oh, you would be like everybody's favorite guest then. <laughs> well, at one point, the last job that I did with Karen, one of the guests that was staying at the house where I was cooking mentioned that they really loved KFC chicken when they were hungover. So when I was out provisioning, I made sure I stopped and I got a bucket of KFC chicken and brought it back because I knew everybody had had a late night the night before. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the most well-received thing that I had the entire time. I mean, everybody That's loved hysterical. the food. But... Oh, let's, let's, not, let's not kid Adrian. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It was just very, it was very thoughtful because we had been up late chit-chatting about your five favorite fast foods. But having said that, I've had wonderful food in those situations. And again, the bouncing between what you see on television versus what it feels like. Mm -hmm. As a viewer, it's amazing to me that some people can be so incredibly demanding. Mm -hmm. There's, those galleys are tiny. Those kitchens are small. You're working with limited resources. It's not like you have a Publix off the back deck. Right. So whatever we end up getting, and I typically have let the chefs select the menus unless somebody has a food allergy or something, you want something special. But for the most part, the people that I cruise with like that aren't like that either. So the food has been exceptional in terms of its presentation and flavor. It's very similar to what you see on the show for the most part. I think sometimes the charter guests are a little bit more food critic-like than they should be. Right. I do find that a little strange when you know somebody's been working their tail off and half the time, at least with the show, there's 15 different things that they have to take into consideration because somebody wants gluten-free, you know, and somebody wants vegan and all of this stuff that knowing all of those things, there's no grace given at all. When the plate comes, it's like, oh, that doesn't look very nice or whatever. Nothing, even regardless of taste, just like it didn't appear like they wanted it to. So sometimes I think real life guests probably get a hard time because people know guests mostly from the show. Well, and you asked about whether we do themes or mm -hmm. the people that we're with are the party. And that's the other thing about being a viewer versus a guest. I always found curious is that they want to engage with the crew and make that experience part of their experience. Mm. And okay. to me, brought people with you. Right. And it's wonderful to have a nice rapport with whatever crew. I mean, I've never stayed on a boat for three or four days. I've mm -hmm. only ever done day charters. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much more you develop a relationship over the course of those four days, given the size of the boat or whatever. But I always thought that that's always sort of a wrinkle that I don't always understand about the themed parties and having the crew participate so heavily, because that's not how I tip either, which is an, another interesting topic, right? Oh, yeah. So, Do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I am known as the greaser okay. because I have a habit of of over tipping oh we love people like you and <laughs> nobody i've worked with with you has been upset about that to be clear <laughs> <laughs> i think that a lot of people drive their decisions on tip based on crew performance okay. or participation with them versus hey did they keep the boat afloat did right. i have some nice food was it a pleasurable experience mm -hmm. <laughs> did the toilets flush the whole time yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Matter. That there's no man overboard. <laughs> right. Somebody came home safely. So for me, those are more of the driving factors than whether or not all the guys 
dressed in drag, which is always some of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Because it's hilarious. But that's not something that I choose to do. Lots of people do it, obviously. I think that that's probably, and Adrian, maybe you can address that since you did the other part of the production on the show part, that that helps add to the production value. Yeah. Very much so. What you see on the show, we do interact quite a bit. Like when we're doing a week-long charter, we do interact quite a bit with the guests. And a lot of the times, if we end up taking them to the beach or something like that, then the deckhands will end up playing with the kids in the water or whatever it is. There's a lot of different situations where the crew can be participatory in a way that is not necessarily as overblown as it is on the show. Karen, do you mean to tell me in all of this that you would not lick dessert? off of JL's body after he body surfed on your dinner table? I might do that. <laughs> I'm oh, even after you found out by watching that he may or may not have an STD. Yeah. I oh, oh my word. <laughs> and he knew there were cameras, right? Yeah. One was he, was, he was talking right into one when he said. <laughs> it's stunning to me. And I'm cracking up watching that particular episode because for all of the silliness that's on this season with the two of them, that he's dick picking a doctor. Over yeah, there. I he's know. Done. That was so crazy and very funny. Oh, my word. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't know what hit him. Yeah. yeah. Funny. Of the three franchises out now, what would you say is your favorite? Probably Med. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I'm really, I may go back and watch season one of Sailing Yacht because that's a whole different element than just motorboating. Just watch season two again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, wanted to, I told Adri- Adrian I wanted to start taking notes because mm-hmm. there was so much going on. I was blogging Sailing Yacht last year, so I was taking notes. And yeah, watch season two twice. <laughs> that, that's better. I think one of the things that makes Sailing Yacht different than all, all the rest of the seasons that we've seen in all the franchises is how endearing the crew is and right. how well they work together. Together. And I think that that's what makes this show, at least for me, my favorite season thus far. Yeah. I think that it's really encouraging to see that there doesn't have to be constant conflict in order for it to be interesting or captivating or to have enough content to be able to appreciate who these people are and not have to pick sides. Because I didn't find myself really in any of the situations, with the exception of maybe Gary City. Sydney Alley is the only situation I feel like in that entire thing where you kind of had to pick a side because at some point you just get over it and you're like everybody just needs to chill out right (laughs) for what it's worth everything works itself out at the end anyway you're not left with what the hell at the end of it yeah. I really did like the aspect of they weren't out to destroy each other. For a couple seasons on a couple of the franchises, it just seemed like everybody was chumming the water and hoping the sharks would come and eat their other crew members. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't like that much intense drama. I like the lightness. I like the fun that the guests have and the fun that the crew has. I don't mind catty drama, but it was getting vicious. So I think that's another good thing about sailing up. So Karen, if you had the opportunity, do you think that you would go on one of the franchises? I don't know as though that would be my Ballywick. Okay. Because I think when Adrian and I have talked about this and we don't have to go over 
who I think is doing it for fame. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people, their behavior is driven by the idea that they'll get their 15 minutes of fame by being on reality television. Right. And so I just don't think that that's something that I would entertain, number one, personally. But mm-hmm. two, I don't know as though we're entertaining enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you do sign up for TV, you probably think you've got something to bring to it. I don't know, Adrian, you can speak to that. I would never be on reality TV because I'm a hermit housewife who lives in Ohio. So <laughs> it's kind of like I know where I fit in in the world. But I would think if a guest is going to sign up knowing the discount doesn't hurt for one. And for two, they probably think that they and their friends are entertaining enough to make a show, I guess. I feel like, and please don't take this the wrong way, Karen, that you guys are way too normal for an episode to be centered around you because I don't think you would create enough drama. Does that make sense? And that's part of how I felt somewhat about myself by the end of the season. Like, Right. And realizing who they chose to replace me afterwards, that what I was and what they wanted were two different things. And I feel like the fact that I'm not that dramatic in real life is a compliment to me and to you that it's not good for reality TV, if that makes yeah. sense. Sure. Yeah, I think it makes total sense. And actually, I've interviewed other previous Below Deck alums. And one of them actually said that, you know, when you have to do the psyche eval, Adrian, uh-huh. they told her that they couldn't believe that she had made it that far because she was far too normal to be on the show. <laughs> So I do think that that's a factor now. I'm not saying it was a factor when you started, but I think it's become a factor now. For sure. And they obviously cast people with the intention of knowing that there's going to be conflict, people that have authority issues and people that don't like to follow direction and all the rest of those things. And we see that play out on almost every season of the show too. If you had a boat full of Collins, it would be pretty boring though too. He can't be more upstanding and hardworking. But you could just mute it and watch, you know? (laughs) (laughs) hopefully my husband didn't hear that (laughs) he just seems like a really terrific guy yeah for real for the most part i feel like the people that they choose for the show are exaggerations versus like we said it wouldn't be interesting to watch if it was a boat full of emotionally well-adjusted normal human beings not that we know what those look like (laughs) (laughs) at the end of our super fan interviews We have, I know that you talk to Adrian regularly, but we have kind of an ask Adrian anything moment. Is there something from the show perspective that you haven't talked to her about that you'd like to get her to answer for you today? Well, you know that the one reason I am a Trader Joe fan now is because of Adrian. Okay. (laughs) She's taught me a lot of hacks. (laughs) they're fantastic and we use them all the time but is it easier or more difficult when someone says kind of do what you want with the menu we don't care when they're on the boat or do you always get very prescriptive preference sheets it really depends to be honest with you sometimes I only have a day or two notice and so we don't have the time to go back and forth like you and I did for your first trip to kind of come up with a plan or not. One of the first things you said to me is dealer's choice, do what you want. We're just excited about anything. And here's the budget kind of situation. Sometimes I have weeks and weeks to prepare and have conversations and go back and forth over email. So for me, either way, every trip is a challenge in one way, shape or form. 
not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes I'm forced to be outside of my comfort zone. I did a trip a couple of months ago that was a Hungarian group, and most of them were originally born and raised in Hungary, and they wanted me to do nothing but traditional Hungarian food, and that was a real doozy of a trip for me because it was not something I had ever delved into before, but I had about a month to prepare myself and do a bunch of homework and source ingredients and test things out on Andrew ahead of time because he's my professional guinea pig. And it was something that I really appreciated because if ever, which fingers crossed, I hope never has to happen again, but at least I'm prepared. So sometimes I get something thrown at me that is something I need time to prepare for because it's not something that's in my wheelhouse and I need a little bit of time. I can't know everything. I do on very regular occasion, Google things just so that I can get decent recipes or find out what the concept is supposed to be if it's not something I'm familiar with. But I do love exactly what Karen does, which is you do you so we can see what you do instead of us telling you what you should be doing. Right. They were the ones that ate all day too, right? All day. All day. I did three different proteins for every single meal and every single meal was like full, sit down. I don't know how we didn't have to have the deckhands put them into those like dock carts and just shove them down the dock when they were done. It was insane. Maybe I'm a Hungarian and not Norwegian. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like my dream trip. (laughs) I felt like an all-you-can-eat Vegas buffet every single day, all day long. That's amazing. That's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Hey gang, the podcast you just listened to, we recorded a few weeks ago. And unfortunately, right after we recorded and a little bit before it was supposed to air, there was a tragedy in Haiti and their president was assassinated. And because of our guest Karen's affiliation with Haiti, we wanted to put it on hold and give due deference and respect to the events that happened after. And we wanted to get back in touch with her and give her an opportunity to let you see a lot of times we tend to see the Caribbean via below deck as a backdrop for Instagram photos or for cruise shenanigans. But we wanted to flip it a little and show you the real life. Adrian is still in the Bahamas on charter and she's actually in the middle of a tropical storm right now. So I'm here with Karen. Welcome back, Karen. Thank you for doing this with us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys very much for understanding and taking this pause with me. Absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about your connection with the Caribbean and with Haiti specifically and how that was born? Well, my father was a very influential basketball and baseball coach growing up. He taught and coached at my high school for 40 years and then graduated, if you will, to college basketball, Mount St. Mary Blue Knights in Newburgh. <laughs> Go Blue Knights! That's right. He <laughs> did that for 15 years. And I am the, how do I say this, the most mature of four kids in my family and my brother is the baby. <laughs> my brother's the baby of the bunch, but we say we don't have one brother, we have thousands because mm-hmm. my father's influence on so many young men and some young ladies' lives as he ran camps in his free time in the summer was just so astonishing after he passed. The idea that his influence just came to light, even though he did this for 50 years, right. once he passed, you really saw the ripple effect. And I say that that was his rock 
into a lake and the ripples of the successes of these people because of the kind of work ethic and influence of good parents. Shout out to them. My dad didn't raise them all. Right. Uh, <laughs> just coached them. But just the influence of his moral stature, his expectations. I only ever heard the man swear once in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I can't say the same for his oldest daughter. Uh, <laughs> Can any of us? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, but his influence just became glaringly obvious to me when you grow up in the midst of something, you don't really notice it. And then having an opportunity to step back and say, how do I pick up my pebble and where do I put it? Right. And it took me a while to figure out what that was going to look like because I want to get it right because he generally did himself. Right. So I had the opportunity to meet Turnier and George of PatientSupportsFoundation.org at one of their fundraisers. And once I understood, I got my business financially involved with them before the fundraiser. But once I got the opportunity to speak with them uh, individually, that their mission of bringing truancy down in schools in Ansevu, which is on the peninsula, uh, mm-hmm. about three hours west of Port-au-Prince to reduce truancy through sports and specifically basketball, it was as if the floodgates opened in my head. And I said, I know that this is my way to throw my pebble to the next place in my father's name and the Dwayne Davis Foundation, one shot, every kid deserves one, was born. That's amazing. Uh, So we're fully vetted 501c3 (laughs) with the IRS, so we're not, don't get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But we partnered with PatientSportsFoundation.org, and we have been able to build this little community. They've been at it for a very long time, and we've had a wonderful partnership with them. Uh, As I mentioned, my business is also involved financially with this organization. And now my father's foundation's mission to take care of one kid. If we do something for one kid, it makes a difference. Well, I know that you're touching more than just that. And they, while the goal is to lower truancy, they have a multi-pronged approach to that, right? They do sports, they do computer literacy, math support, and they dip into healthcare as well, right? Yes. In fact, one of the first projects they were able to complete was a clinic. It was open to the township, not just the kids that go to school there. Mm -hmm. So that was the big opportunity to provide healthcare for basic stuff that in this country, we don't even blink an eye at. Right. Uh, So that was opened in the name of my sister-in-law's former colleague, Diane Cavs, who was assigned through the Obama administration to do HIV AIDS work in Haiti, which is still problematic in that country among their many challenges. And she was there in 2010 during the first earthquake. I guess it's noteworthy that we are recording this the day after they just suffered another devastating earthquake. I know when I saw that yesterday and knew that you and I would be talking today, it just broke my heart because even from the time I was young and doing my own mission work, Haiti has just really had a hard time coming out of this. And you see so many other Caribbean islands that, I mean, they share an island, obviously, with Dominican Republic, but you see so many nations in the Caribbean who have been able to use tourism to their benefit and climb up out of this. And there's always just something happening in Haiti to where they can't get, like what you said, things that we take for granted. I mean, you hardly hear about HIV AIDS now because of the drugs that have been developed and how it's keeping people alive here without any thought. But then you go to someplace like Haiti and realize, wait a minute, this isn't fixed. This isn't cured. 
So I admire the work that you're doing because I do think that it starts with kids. I think just like what your dad did, when you invest in kids, they grow up and they're the ones who carry on the behavior you model to them. And I think you investing in these kids and giving them focus is the path to get Haiti on its way and thriving. Yes. And economic freedom, I think. So the clinic, as I mentioned, was named after Diane Cavs, and she actually was pancaked in a hotel with her first unborn child during the first earthquake there. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. The clinic is dedicated in her name. So we are marching along and we are in partnership with HaitianFoundation.org. We are helping them finish a technical school. They've graduated several classes of high schoolers. They've created a solar energy program. That's awesome. They're growing entrepreneurs in the township. Basketball, the first tournament ever in the region was played and completed by the end of July. And we were so happy to at least watch the game via Zoom. Circumstances were such that we were unable to travel there. Right. But to see the smiles on these kids' faces and the pride that they're taking in learning something new. And it was Friday night lights, I'm told, that the entire town turned out and people were selling candy to the kids and bottled waters. And that, as Tournier said, Ansevu has been inoculated with basketball fever. (laughs) That's fantastic. It's wonderful. And it takes little things. People might not think basketball can change the world, but hope changes it. And the joy that you get from the game, the teamwork that you develop by playing it, the discipline. There's so many facets to sports that people write off as just entertainment, just the same way that we might write off the Caribbean as entertainment. But these are real people, real lives, and you're touching them and I'm blessed to know you and I'm so oh, happy about <laughs> your mission and well, happy would, to get the word out about it. Thank you. The other aspect of the Dwayne Davis Foundation is domestically we have focused on because my father was an educator as well as I mentioned but mm-hmm. uh, it, he was very adamant about schoolwork too. It right. wasn't just about being a lunkhead in the gym and being an athlete. He said there's a reason that they're called student athletes. Exactly. Because uh, you have to be a student first. So domestically, the efforts have thus far gone to awarding almost $200,000 in scholarships and student debt relief. Unbelievable. The pressure that that takes off of a young adult just starting their life. I applaud you for that because it really does make a huge difference. And that's that's a huge amount. Too. Yeah, so we're, we're very, very pleased with the progress that we've made. So, you know, if people are interested, we are in the process of building our webpage, but if they're interested in, in donating to either the Haitian Sports Foundation.org, which they can do directly, or they can contribute via Venmo to at the DDF, capital T, capital DDF, for funds to go to domestic efforts for those kinds of causes to educate kids. So the two projects kind of folded under these two different umbrellas, just dovetail so beautifully. And we've been so fortunate to have this partnership with them. And the next project is going to be finishing a technical school that will be in my late husband's name because he was an engineer. Mm -hmm. And we are almost completed with that project. And as of the last reports I got just this morning from Haiti, so far the academy is intact. Good. And the clinic is treating victims of the earthquake as we speak. Wow. 
So you're making a boots on the ground impact right now because your dad inspired people and inspired you and you're carrying on that legacy. Look at that beautiful picture, people. If you can donate, please do. Anything is appreciated. We are a fledgling operation, but the amount is unimportant. It's the thought and it goes so far. When we started to help them build the tech school, I think, I don't want to misquote Turnier, but I think at the height of construction, there were 70 men who got paychecks and legitimately were able to buy food for their families. That's amazing. Here's to my eyes. It does. Because here, even while we were in lockdown, we pull up Amazon and have it delivered. And you don't think about the people who have mouths to feed and there aren't jobs available for them to do. The pride that must come from being able to walk in the front door and purchase it for your family. Again, it seems like it's such a simple thing for us, DoorDash it, right? (laughs) Not that I have any affiliation with DoorDash. but (laughs) (laughs) Don't Venmo DoorDash. Yes, there's plenty of work to do here domestically in that regard as well. As I said, we're just getting going and we would appreciate any of your listeners who are interested to, you know, look up HaitianSportsFoundation.org that you can donate directly if you'd like your impact to go directly to them. However, we do support them. You will see the logo for the foundation on their website as well as my businesses so I hope people know that it's legit and you can donate directly to the Dwayne Davis Foundation at Venmo at the DDF. If you choose to donate through Venmo, some accounts require double authentication. And if that's the case, you just add in the four-digit code and that would be 6503. Anything anyone wants to do is absolutely welcome. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening to this. Thank you. Do me a favor and support Karen, support Haitian Sports Foundation, support the Dwayne Davis Foundation. Show them that Below Deck fans care about what's going on in Haiti. Help lift them up if you can. We'd appreciate it very much. We appreciate you listening as always. Thank you, Karen. And we will be back with you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to our friends who helped us create Gangplank Report. Down below music and lyrics by Angel Tweeter Frail and Terry Abbott. Performed by Lorelei of Florida. Production assistance by Michael Castaneda. Super fan intro by Blind Lawrence. Cast off me, hearties.